Hello, everyone, and welcome to a podcast brought to you by Boxlight. I'm your host for today, Gabrielle, and right now we're joined by guest Preston Trevis, who's STEM training and development specialist at Boxlight. Together, we're going to be delving deep into the challenges that teachers face in today's educational landscape. So exploring just the very essence of creativity, how traditional educational systems sometimes unintentionally stifle it, and most importantly, how we can foster and nurture creativity in our classroom. So here to join us on today's podcast and talk about this subject is Preston. So welcome, Preston. Glad to have you. Howdy. Hey, great to be with you, Gabrielle. Of course. Well, let's take a quick moment to just introduce yourself to our audience. So just name, bio, and what it is you do in your industry and how long you've been doing it. Sure. My name is Preston Trebus. I have been in education for over 10 years, teaching everything from language. I used to teach Tagalog or Filipino and how people could speak it. And then moving into elementary education for eight years, teaching everything from second to fourth to sixth grade, working as an ed tech specialist as well. And then that moved me into the position I'm in now where I am a STEM training and development specialist. And basically the way I describe what I do passionately is I like to find the fun, wild and crazy ideas and bring them into the classroom for students to get excited about education. And what that title is for Boxlight is I help develop content curriculum as well as deliver training on things like 3D printers, robotics and science experiment equipment. Fantastic. Well, so being an educator... Uh, for over a decade, I mean, what do you think are probably some of the most pressing challenges that you came across or your peers and just issues that teachers are currently facing in today's educational landscape uh, and also overall just how these challenges have impacted the learning experience of students as well as uh, the teaching experience of educators? What have you seen there? Sure. So anybody that's been in education would tell you that they're is not a shortage of issues and challenges and problems. And when I look at the challenges that I faced in talking to educators, the thing that comes up often is time. Time would be the center at all of that. But when you look at the word time and you look at the things that surround time, you can see the pressures that are put on teachers from uh, administrators, from parents, from community. Not to say that those pressures are bad. They're, ju they're just there. And I think a huge thing that I've encountered and is uh, sadly counterintuitive to what children actually need are pressure to perform, pressure to excel. And we kind of have this mentality in America. We want to be the best and we want to show that we're the best. But when you look at the statistics, we fall drastically short in comparison to other countries in, in the world. And when we see those numbers and we see those statistics, we feel a pressure to do something about it. And that often is uh, results in more laws and legislation, more uh, standards that need to be taught, more things. And what that ends up doing is it puts additional stressors and pressures and expectations on teachers that already are doing one of the hardest jobs if all they had to do was teach. Now they have to be a social emotional coach. They have to guide them through um, uh, difficulty in the family. They have to help them uh, get caught up to grade level standards. They have to um, coach them on the soccer field because there's not enough support to have a soccer coach. They have to then go help with fundraising. They, they have to do so much. And what ends up happening is teachers then have to make very difficult decisions. What are the things they are going to prioritize? Which brings me to uh, the next point, And then I'll, I'll kind of uh, leave it for there because this is kind of the bigger picture. Um, but then what ends up happening is 
teachers have to make that decision. Is it more important that I do the things that secure my job and please the people that are in charge of me having this job? Or do I do what I feel I was trained to do? I went to school to help children learn. I went to school to help kids do art. I went to school to help kids have fun learning about multiplication and fractions. I didn't go to school to make children perform to do well on a test. And yet, if that's the thing my admin and my state and my country is telling me to do, it is very overwhelming. And then when you get into the things that actually matter, like creativity and art and culture and these things, those fall to the wayside. And that is the ironic thing is because those are the pieces that will actually help children the most, in my opinion. For sure. And we're here today to talk about creativity, whether or not it's being fostered or stifled in education educational settings. So I'm going to ask you, how would you define creativity at its core itself? Uh, do you think that this is a skill that can be taught? Is it nurtured or is it an innate ability that people already have? And just from your experience in classrooms, what role do you think schools play in building this up or just kind of squashing it? Yeah, great question. There uh, is an amazing TED Talk by Sir Ken Robinson, who sadly has passed away recently. And I had the honor of of meeting him, talking with him and spending some moments with him. And he gives an amazing talk about how schools are killing creativity. And it's actually one of the most watched TED Talks and his words. Uh, a lot of my thoughts and philosophies echo what he says, but it's also fueled by my personal experiences, not only as a teacher, but also as a father of, of two, two children. And what I would first and foremost say is we are all born with the ability to be creative. We are all born with the potential to be creative. And what schools and organizations and systems often do is they kill that, is they stifle it, is they get in the way, is because these are things that can be nurtured and fostered, not necessarily taught. It's the one of the most basic human things is to stand in the world and to wonder and then to create. When you look at things that scientists have done in the past, the most beautiful and amazing explorations in science, everything from realizing that we are not the center of the universe and that we actually rotate and revolve around the earth, that stemmed from somebody being curious and then creating devices to then study those things. They were looking for a standard to meet. They were going into their textbook and saying, well, I have a, a, a test on the sun on this Friday, so I better explore the sun. No, they just were curious. And we've gotten away from this human ability to just wonder and to think and to work with others that share those similar interests. And so I think one of the most important roles that schools face that they really need to step up and start addressing is taking a look at what we actually prioritize, because there is a creativity epidemic in our country today. I don't want to make light of things like humans, uh, uh, children, hunger and, and homelessness, like those issues are real. And nobody would say that we shouldn't be focusing on those things. Nobody's going to say, you know, we shouldn't really worry about children that go to bed hungry. People would say, yeah, children need food. But it's a huge problem. Why aren't we solving it? Why isn't there greater efforts to fix those things? And so when I look at a situation like childhood hunger, we have our priorities wrong. And I would say that creativity is a very similar issue where there is a hunger for creativity, that children are looking for ways to express themselves. They're looking for an outlet. They're looking for guidance. 
And it is our role as educators, it is our role as adults to set aside our own ego, set aside our own agenda, and to guide them through this process. And what that, and I know we'll, we'll get into kind of like more specifics and logistics, but big picture speaking, it's letting them be. It's letting them be and being comfortable with the things that are really uncomfortable for us because kids that will ask questions and will wonder what a teacher will often think is, okay, Billy, that's a great question, but we actually have to get to the lesson and blah, 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 blah. And then that student is then hearing the message, your question is not worth my time. And that is happening every single day, thousands of times in a classroom every day because of those pressures that teachers are facing. And I want to be clear too, because again, as a former educator, like this isn't to um, say that the problem is on teachers. Uh, teachers know this. They feel that. They feel that pressure. And they feel, in my experience, we have felt trapped. We have felt that we don't have the freedom to take time out of the day to explore the things that children are curious about. No, absolutely. And, you know, on a more practical side there, could you share uh, some easily um, easily implemented ideas or suggestions for maybe fostering creativity levels just across different grade levels and how educators can balance all of the curriculum requirements uh, that they have, but also while providing that extra room for creative exploration we're talking about? Absolutely. So I'll talk uh, two examples or two pathways, if you want to think. One pathway is going to be a very unstructured pathway that may seem a little ch more challenging for teachers. The other pathway is a more structured approach, things that teachers could easily embed into the classroom and embed in curriculum of what they're already doing. So the first thing is we need to let children be bored. We need to let children to kind of sit and to think for themselves what they want to learn about. Yes, there are standards and there are things that are outlined for students. But if you were to ask a kid, hey, what do you want to learn about? More often than not, they're not going to say, oh, I really want to learn two digit by two digit multiplication. But if you pose growing a garden to them, well, if you need to buy soil for your garden and you're filling up a garden bed and you need to know the square footage of that garden, well, what skill do you need to know to fill that garden bed? You need to know two digit by two digit multiplication. So we have it very backwards where we're teaching standards to then prepare them for the real world when the reality is we should be looking at the real world to drive what we're teaching in the classroom. So what that often looks like is things like um, passion projects. So giving students time to uh, have, it could be one hour a week where they get to explore a topic of their choice. They can create a presentation, they can create a video, they can write a report. There are many ways in which students can have that time to explore whatever they want to explore and then have that joy of sharing what they've learned with other people. Because then look at what's happening. They're learning. Then, well, if you're going to do a research project about uh, Jupiter, because that's what you're interested in, well, you're going to have to know how to read. So then like we got to address our reading skills. Do we have the reading skills for a, for a first grader to read about Jupiter? And so there's so many things that we could do. Um, and then as a more practical approach, I think a huge catalyst for creativity is choice, giving students choice in how they understand a topic. And this is where teachers can um, get very creative and can have a lot of fun. But again, it requires stepping back, taking an intellectual risk and changing what you may have already done for the last five to 10 years, because, hey, yes, you've done that worksheet for the past 10 years. It's time to put that on the shelf and let's create something similar to what's called a choice board. A choice board could be a three by three grid 
where you have nine options for a student to show that they understand a concept that you've taught. They could choose to, like I said, write a report. They could choose to give a presentation. They can choose to create an art piece. They can choose to make a digital portfolio. And by giving students choice, they then start to feel ownership of their learning. And then they feel that they are co-collaborators in their success. That education isn't something that is being forced upon them. And just really quick backstory on myself. I dropped out of high school. I dropped out of high school because I was frustrated that I couldn't learn the things I wanted to learn. I actually wanted to learn about Shakespeare. And when I went to my uh, 10th grade teachers, I, I like, are, are, when are we going to like, I hear Shakespeare all the time. When are we going to read Shakespeare? And they're like, oh, well, we don't really do Shakespeare. And that just seems so backwards to me. Like, I, I want to read Shakespeare, but you're telling me I have to read Lord of the Flies, which was like another topic in and of itself. But anyways, um, so giving students choice and allowing them to drive what the classroom looks like. And I'm going to say, again, as a teacher, that is hard to do because you have to release control to your students. And if you have a group of 30 plus students, the thought of giving complete control to 30 eight-year-olds could be terrifying. So I, I, I understand. Oh, yeah. And I'll take it a step further there. Not could be terrifying. Probably would be terrifying. But I, I really enjoy that kind of reframing of what you're talking about there in terms of strategy. It's honestly really smart and it's difficult because you're talking about a classroom of 30 kids will each will have a unique passion that they want to explore. That's opens up a, a whole a whole new uh, strategy there in of itself. And, you know, segue to that, I, I want to ask you, you know, what strategies can teachers employ to instill a sense of responsibility with what we're talking about and, and leadership and students regarding their learning journey? Because we've opened it up. You have the creativity now. But how will we employ that sense of responsibility? Oh, love this question. Like this is something we could spend days talking about because I want to go to the word assessment. I think when you think of assessment, we often think of a test, a multiple choice test, things like that. And where students can start taking responsibility, it again comes from a reframing of what we're looking for when we assess for knowledge, when we assess for mastery of content. And this is where it's it's a catch-22 because if we revamp the whole system and we re-evaluate how we assess, that is an overwhelming task. But in the end, it ends up giving the teachers more time and flexibility. But what you have to do is you have to do a complete revamp of our grading system. I was shocked when I started looking into where does A, B, C, D even come in? Where, why did we do that? That was the grading system we used to grade meat. And we're using it to tell children, hey, you're, you have an F in science, but that F is representative of poor meat, but I'm using it to tell you that you don't know this thing. And when really what we should be doing in order to give students the responsibility is we have to understand how we're assessing for knowledge. What are we looking at to make sure that a student got it? And what ends up happening is it does require work on the teacher's end to look at a lot of projects. Absolutely. But then what ends up happening is then the students are, again, being more driven to learn things on their own. 
and do things in their own way where they are feeling a power and a drive to do that. And I think I'm a little on both sides of the fence here if you ask me about artificial intelligence, but I think AI, ChatGPT, these have been some of the best things to happen to education to force teachers to reevaluate what we're doing. Because how often have teachers used the absolute lame excuse, you need to know this for fifth grade, so you better do it. Oh, you got to know how to do this because you're going to have to write a resume. Oh, you're going to know how to do this because you do this in college. That's not going to work because ChatGPT can write your resume for you. It can write your paper for you. So is this a skill that really we need to be focusing on in this time where other things can do it for you? But what's beautiful is when you have advancements in technology, it re-emphasizes how important the human element of those content areas are. So when you talk about writing, why do we write? Why did people write from the very beginning? Why did poetry start? It's because we wanted to express the inner workings of our soul. People didn't write in the very beginning because they were going to be graded on it and they wanted to get into a good college. They were writing to connect with other people. Why does science exist? We don't take a science test to then say, oh, I got a good science score so I can get into MIT. We discovered things because we were curious about the world around us. We dropped an apple and said, huh, why does that fall on the ground every single time? So yeah, AI can do these things for you, but it doesn't remove the why behind it all. And so these teachers that are going to be falling back on the excuse of, well, this is going to be on the test and this is going to be next year and you're going to have to do this. Students are paying attention. They are realizing that those are lies. And if teachers do not change and be part of this change of reevaluating how we assess and how we invite students to be, again, those co-collaborators on criteria for success, we have missed a huge opportunity. We are quite literal, not literally, but we are figuratively on a precipice of education where we have an amazing opportunity to reevaluate what's important. And the irony of it all is when in my, and I experienced this in my classroom and I, and I've seen it time and time again, that the teachers that understand and that are kind of going to be the ones that go against the grain and say, you know what, I'm not going to just teach what the book says. I'm going to teach from my heart and I'm going to connect to my student's heart they end up doing the best at the test scores at the end of the year anyways. They're not the ones that are teaching to the test. And I had a great leader one time. I started out of school and I asked where the math book was. I said, hey, where, where's our math curriculum? And she went into a closet. She pulled it out. I'm pretty sure it had dust on it. And she said, well, this is the textbook, but the curriculum and how you teach it comes from you. And that was such a shift in my experience as an educator because I was able to have the freedom to look at what my students were interested in and to deliver the content in fun and engaging and exciting and relatable ways. And I didn't care about the testing as much. And at the end of the year, like my class test scores were the best. They were the best across the board. And, and I, there, there's the evidence. Like if you want to say we have to have measuring criteria, well, there it was there. Like why then are we forcing teachers and students to fit into this box when everybody is different and everybody learns different and everybody expresses themselves differently. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up the first part of this very important conversation discussing how we can foster and nurture creativity in our classrooms. 
If you'd like to hear more, please tune in to the second part of this episode featuring Preston Trevis at Boxlight. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to listen, and I'll see you next time on Unbox Innovation.